Um, This is from Isaiah chapter 6, um, verse 1 to 8, and it's in page 691 of the Bible. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings that, um, that covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will I go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, The Gospel reading can be found on page 1065 of the Bible. It is John chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things. And you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Shall we pray? Lord, as we stand in your presence today, please open our hearts and minds to receive whatever you have for us. Amen. As some of you may know, I may possibly have mentioned it at some point in the past, I'm a big fan of superheroes. It used to be one of those things that a grown adult wouldn't necessarily want to admit to in public. But these days, superheroes are very popular, so I don't mind telling people. One of the things that I think appeals about superheroes is the idea of an alter ego. The idea of an ordinary human being becoming an extraordinary human being. I think people are attracted to the idea that though they may seem like any other person, secretly they could have exceptional power to change the world for the better. By day, I am Paul Joyce, the mild-mannered civil servant. But by night, I am the masked avenger. Although, to be honest, I have to admit that so far, my alter ego's exploits have consisted of nothing more than leaping around my bedroom in my pyjamas. That's the funny thing about the whole superhero concept. In reality, it's the wrong way round when you think about it. By day, in public, in the light, we often try to be the best person we can be. If you're going to do something good or heroic, you'll probably be very happy for people to see it and know about it. But if we choose to do things at night, under the cover of darkness, hidden behind a mask, those are often the things we'd rather people didn't know about. The things that are a little bit embarrassing, or worse. The things that we're not willing to be honest about, with others, and perhaps even with ourselves. So perhaps it's significant that John begins his account of this fascinating encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus by telling us that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish ruling council. That's the first thing John tells us about him. The problem is that it's very easy to make assumptions. Most, if not all, of our knowledge and understanding of the Pharisees probably comes from the stories we've heard or read from the Gospels. You may be aware of various stories where the Pharisees opposed Jesus and rejected his teaching. So it's easy for us to assume that Nicodemus must be one of the bad guys, a natural enemy of Jesus. Again, the funny thing is this is a little bit the wrong way round. At a time when many people had turned away from God, the Pharisees were trying to revive their faith. In a corrupt and sinful world, the Pharisees studied scripture and followed God's laws carefully. In Jesus' time, most people would have assumed Nicodemus was one of the good guys, a natural ally of Jesus. We're probably familiar with many stories from the Gospels where Jesus forgives sinners and acts kindly towards those whom society at the time considered to be undesirable the bad and the ugly. This encounter with Nicodemus, by contrast, shows us how Jesus chooses to share his message with the good. And it may surprise us. Even with our negative preconceptions about Pharisees, Nicodemus seems to make a promising start. He comes seeking Jesus. He calls Jesus rabbi, meaning teacher. 
where other religious leaders might have been cynical of this carpenter's son who's taken it upon himself to teach people about God without the proper training. Nicodemus acknowledges the miracles Jesus has performed and recognises that Jesus' authority comes from God. Unlike many of the religious leaders we encounter in the Gospels, Nicodemus seems to have seen that God is at work and has come to Jesus, perhaps wanting to be part of building God's kingdom. I don't know what response Nicodemus was expecting from Jesus, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't the one he got. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus is confused. And we may have some sympathy with him there. It's a difficult concept to get our heads round, isn't it? Being born again. Nicodemus gets caught up in trying to figure out the mechanics of it all. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Funny thing, being born. I don't know about you, but I don't actually remember being born. It's a significant moment in anyone's life. We often celebrate the anniversary of our being born with birthday cards and cake and so on, don't we? And we get a special certificate, a birth certificate, confirming when and where we were born. Sometimes it's useful to have a birth certificate to be able to prove those details. But of course, one thing we don't need a birth certificate for is to prove that we actually were born. All of us were born at some point. Our lives are proof of that. Similarly, while we celebrate births and birthdays, it's not really the birth itself we're celebrating. It's the life that follows it. It's easy to forget that when we talk about being born again, or born from above, as the phrase Jesus uses could also be interpreted. Born effectively into God's family. Some people here will remember being born again. For some, that's a very specific and memorable moment of their lives. Others may not recall any specific moment of rebirth, any more than they remember their physical birth. But again, it's not really the birth that matters. It's the life that follows it. And perhaps that's why Jesus seems a little harsh with Nicodemus. It may not seem unreasonable to us that Nicodemus seems to struggle with the concept of needing to be born again, of water and the spirit. I don't know about you, but I certainly struggle with it sometimes. But actually, these concepts wouldn't have been as strange to Nicodemus as he makes out. After all, as Jesus points out, he is a Pharisee someone who has studied the scriptures in great detail and who teaches people about God. He would have been familiar with the idea of having to be washed clean with water and having to be born again to become one of God's people. The problem is, he doesn't think those things apply to him. Nicodemus doesn't see the need to be cleansed in water when he's tried so hard to avoid getting his hands dirty. He doesn't see the need to be born again because he was born a descendant of Abraham. He thinks he is already good enough for God. By day, at least. As far as anybody knew. I'm not suggesting that Nicodemus didn't genuinely always try to be a good person. But do you think he never once failed? Or did he just think he could hide those things he was ashamed of in the darkness? Behind a mask? Under the cover of the night? 
Did he think he could hide them from Jesus? From God? And speaking of hiding things, why did he visit Jesus at night, under cover of darkness? What was he hiding? Who was he hiding from? Did he not want his Pharisee friends to know he was going to see Jesus? If that was the case, was he really ready to be part of God's plan? To give up everything and follow Jesus? There's an interesting contrast to the meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus in our other reading from Isaiah. In that reading, Isaiah has a vision in which he has an encounter with God. Faced with God's glory and holiness, Isaiah is terrified, knowing himself to be sinful and unworthy to stand in God's presence. But by God's grace, Isaiah's guilt is taken away and his sin is atoned for. And when God asks for someone to go and share his message with the world, Isaiah doesn't hesitate to put himself forward to be a part of God's plan. Compare this, then, with Nicodemus' encounter with God. And let us not forget that that's what this is. Nicodemus, a man who has studied the scriptures and who has seen God at work through the miracles of Jesus, comes into the presence of Jesus. But his response is not quite the same as that of Isaiah. Jesus prompts Nicodemus by reference to another passage from Scripture, one which Nicodemus would certainly have been familiar with. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This refers to an incident in the book of Numbers, where many Israelites were bitten by venomous snakes. Moses prayed for them, and God instructed Moses to place a bronze snake on top of a pole. Anyone who was bitten by a snake could look up at the bronze snake and live. But Jesus is also alluding to events that lie ahead, his own crucifixion to save us from our sins. Jesus uses the story of the bronze snake to explain to Nicodemus that the first thing he must do in order to be saved is to acknowledge his need to be saved. He must see that he too is being poisoned by sin's venom and that only by looking up and seeing the Son of Man before him can he be saved. He must also be prepared to step out in faith. The last couple of verses of the passage we read today are among the most famous verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What's interesting is that it's not entirely clear whose words they are. Some versions of the Bible include them in Jesus' words to Nicodemus. Others have them as John's words. In the end, it doesn't really matter. Either way, they are at the heart of what Jesus wants to teach Nicodemus. And they are at the heart of what John wants to teach us. They are at the heart of the gospel. Jesus wants Nicodemus to be saved. But is he? So often in the Gospels we see Jesus' word transforming people so that they abandon their lives of sin and follow Jesus in an instant. But in this passage, we're not told how Nicodemus reacts. The impression we get is that he's not really understood Jesus' words at all. Fortunately, the story of Nicodemus doesn't end there. 
Later in John's Gospel, Nicodemus steps forward to defend Jesus publicly when the other Pharisees are trying to arrest him. And he appears with Joseph of Arimathea to attend the burial of Jesus' body after the crucifixion. Faith can be a longer journey for some than for others. But it appears that Nicodemus got there in the end. If we struggle sometimes, if we find ourselves trusting in our own righteousness as Nicodemus did, or feeling condemned by our own failings as Isaiah did, we should remember that Jesus' message to Nicodemus is God's message to each of us. For God loves you so much that he gave his one and only Son that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. Amen.